In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. We also offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. As spring makes its way into summer, stay cool in a short-sleeve, moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tecovis's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And don't go gently, y'all. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. You're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast, presented by Scree Gear. That's S-K-R-E, Performance Hunting Apparel. And we want to remind you that the risk-free Whitetail Starter Bundle promotion is still going on. That bundle is a lightweight pant, merino long-sleeve top, a vest, merino gaiter, merino gloves, and a Scree cap. And... You buy it, you try it for up to 14 days, and if you're not totally satisfied, you return it, and you get your money back. It's that simple. That bundle's got everything you need to get in the tree stand on opening day, and honestly, in Louisiana, probably a lot of the days of the season. Um, And another thing, uh, you can use the code LABH on ScreeGear.com and get 20% off your first purchase. Now, that code won't apply to already discounted sale items or bundles because the bundle packages at Scree are already discounted. But for any other purchases, if you want to fill your cart item by item, get 20% off your first purchase. So check them out, find out more about Scree, follow them on social media, subscribe to their YouTube channel, and you can shop online at ScreeGear.com. So I have Kyler here with me. What's up? What's going on? And we have... Friend, supporter, community prankster, Brian Chamberlain. How are you? I'm Actually, good. How are you're you? you're not a prankster. You're just dead serious with all the crap that you post on the <laughs> community page, right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we're gonna have Brian on today and and uh, talk a little bit about 
it's September, and Brian's done some some or some of the different early season hunts that you can get into outside of the state. We're gonna find out a little bit more about some of the hunts that he's been on, and just kind of talk about what we're all expecting as we turn the calendar. Which reminds me, I'm pretty excited. A, it's this is the last week that there's not hunting season, and before anybody gets their their feathers ruffled, I realize that even in our state, there are some seasons that open earlier in September. I just took part in one of those. <laughs> I just took part in one of those myself uh, this past week. But for me, I don't know how you guys feel, but for me, October the 1st is like a holiday because it doesn't even, well, it just doesn't feel, it feels different on October the 1st. Do you feel how you guys feel that it way? Is. Yeah. It, it, well, my favorite is, you know, I'll, every year I'll post, we post a countdown and the countdown is, is until October 1st. Right. Mm-hmm. And every year in September, people are like, man, you know, area nine, area three, area seven. Like we, and I'm like, guys, this is a countdown to a date. This isn't saying that there aren't other times that, <laughs> that, that, that the season begins, but the majority of the state is October 1st. So, um, and, and also I know there's a lot of people, hunt the opener on the west side of the state but it seems to be every year there's not as hard and heavy of like stick with it go every day go every weekend as there is for the rest of the state because it's just usually just brutally hot yeah, brutally hot plus plus a lot of times it overlaps with teal season and i think a little bit of dove season i'm not really a dove yeah. hunter but teal season draws a lot of people because it's so short but anyway um yeah i, I agree with you though I'm I'm uh, I'm pretty excited. One week left. Yep, yep, yep. So, um, B, I said A. B, I'm excited. This is a little bit off off topic, but for all of you that listen regularly to the podcast, um, if you hear a difference, we have gotten new pod equipment. We've got new podcast equipment. So I'm hoping that the audio quality. I'm excited because it sounds better on my end and it's much easier to operate and. I'm kind of geeking out on it. It's it's, it's kind yeah. Of, I'm it's, pretty pumped. It's kind of fun. It so, sounds good. I think it sounds good. It sounds. Give e- me a. Can you give me? Give me a. Give me a laugh track. Can you give me a laugh track. Okay. Up there? Here you go. Here you go. You ready? <laughs> Brian, tell us a joke. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just joking. You guys, you guys know anything about penguins? No. <laughs> 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 oh, that's so bad. Man. I need I need one of those in like my daily life. I know yeah, that. Yeah. Just, just a glowing green button for somebody to laugh at you. Yeah. So, well, um, so what? So what happened last week? Um, and and I, I'm sure you'll get to this block, but you went out of state. You went to Missouri. Did. You hunted. Did. And um, you brought the podcast equipment, and we had a guest lined up. We're gonna we're gonna have him um, uh, this week at the end of this week, but. Um, it kind of crapped out on us. Yeah, the equipment did. It, it's the fourth the fourth year. We're getting a lot of feedback. I was actually hearing myself um, reverb. Very, very, yeah, really bad reverb to the point when I was ta- when I was asking Jonathan Moreland, uh, I'm sorry, um, Jonathan uh, Portalon. Thank you. Last week, in my questions. I, I don't know if you could hear, but like about ten seconds into my questions, I would kind of lose my frame of thought because. I was hearing all the things I just said back, and it was really messing me up. But anyway, we got new equipment. I'm pretty excited about it. 
it's actually made for podcasting, not made for recording guitar on an iPhone. <laughs> and um, we're uh, we're we're a, a fish now. Yeah, we're so official. pretty cool. Any other news? But, um, yeah. Um, so I, I meant to tell everybody this last week. You and I discussed it, but we, you know, it's, it's kind of like kind of like seeing your first deer of the year. I don't care if it's a fawn or. A 120 or a 180 you're going to get shaken up by it and you're going to forget you're going to forget how to bow hunt for a second so we i forgot how to record a podcast last time apparently but what i wanted to tell everybody uh, officially was that Locke is now uh, a partner in louisiana bow hunter and not just a, a co-host and my it guy and all that stuff he is now actually a major part of its um, operation, its function, its daily momentum. And uh, so I want y'all to, to know that for me and also to welcome Locke on, um, on board because he's been helping out for years and uh, now he's officially a partner. So I'm excited to be doing this with you officially, man, and, and I'm looking forward to growing this even more. Thanks, man. Yeah, I am too. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, like you said, I've been. Uh, it doesn't feel that much different. <laughs> really as far as uh as far as you know my day-to-day this time of the year because i have been heavily involved for for a number of years but uh but yeah sure. it's a great opportunity and um looking forward to doing a lot of cool stuff in the future with it, with the brand there's there's a, another thing that i want i guess let other people know that that we're excited about so uh, the last two years, I've been growing another business, and um, it's kind of consumed my life uh, a good bit. And so that's why I reached out to people this year with Louisiana Bowhunter for to, to kind of like take on a little bit more of the operation of it and to help grow it because three people doing it is better than one or two. And so um, l- last year, I didn't get all of our merchandise, Louisiana Bowhunter merchandise, in all the shops that we were in at the state. I was just kind of overwhelmed with my other business. And so David O'Donnell um, is actually officially in sales for Louisiana Bowhunter. So if you know of a shop that needs some merch or a corner store, a gas station or a one-stop shop or whatever, we'd love to get a rack in there. Um, You can send us an email at info at at uh, louisianabowhunter.com or sales at louisianabowhunter.com and we will get david we'll bird dog david on there because he's doing a fantastic job we've been i I don't want to say we're late on merch this year because i was really late on it last year and um we got out ahead of it but the problem is we've put so many hats and decals and shirts in shops already that it didn't have enough to sell on the website so we just got a we just got a um, second round of inventory uh, refill and uh, we're still trying to get in, get all that into into the shops, but it's now on the website. You can go to LouisianaBowhunter.com, check out all the new merch. Pr- really proud of how the designs and the hats and the colors and the themes and styles all came out this year. It's really cool stuff. So we're still working on some shirts, but it'll be uh, be here. Be it's ready to go, but the shirts will be a couple more weeks. So yes, sir. Cool. So, um, so if you hear me, uh, I actually have enhanced mute capabilities with our new equipment but if you hear me sniffling or sneezing i apologize in advance i've been on a tractor for like seven hours today and my allergies are on fire but uh (laughs) (laughs) kind of uh 
kind of uh, I'll tell you uh, another thing that, that happened to me today that's just kind of an aside and I, I don't know if either of you have ever had this happen but I'm bush hogging for a friend of mine they didn't have access to a tractor this year trying to help them get all their roads and food plots bush hogs so they can um, get someone out there to plant them and all that kind of stuff and I'm, I'm I'm going along on my tractor and I see this very odd hole in the ground and it's kind of in an area where there's tall grass but it's sparse you know so you can see the ground uh beneath the the even tall grass and i go over the uh i go over the hole and i'm just like well that's kind of a weird hole it's like something in it and i couldn't tell what it was i kept going i come back around and i actually had a pin broke on my bush hog and i didn't realize but i was right by the hole and it was a a, a nest of ground hornets Ooh. oh and, god and I, that's never I've, I've been stung by them i actually shot an arrow at a target and missed that's the only time I've ever missed in my life, but um, I, I was, I, it was like some pine needles, and I was back there with a rake, like raking the pine needles, and got into a, a nest of ground hornets, and they lit me up, chased me all the way back to the house, but I've always heard these horror stories of people on equipment, um, specifically this time of the year working food plots and deer leases and stuff, and um, going over them and just getting lit up before they can get off the tractor, and I got lucky. Uh, but it it scared me. So the rest of the day, I was like eyeballing everything. So that was <laughs> it sounds a, like nightmare fuel, man. That does not. It is. So I know that you don't you don't have this problem, Kyler, because your style of hunting doesn't require you to do. Uh, I want to say a lot of this, but any of this. But Brian, I know you've got some new properties, and you've been busting it, trying to get things ready. You ready for opening day? We're ready for opening day. Yeah, I, I've no seen your hornets, pictures. I hadn't, uh, yeah, my wife will tell you that I'm overly ready just because I've been gone so much, but yeah, I think we're, we're, we're ready to go, but no hornets. Although last year we pulled down a ladder stand and, uh, there was about six or seven of us all drinking, sitting around drinking beer. A couple guys are working on the ladder stand and in a split second, you watch six or seven guys running across the field, swatting the neck and their no. face and everything mm. else getting stung. So yeah, you gotta watch box stands, tree yeah. stands. I had that happen mm-hmm. uh, with my disc, the, you know, it's tubing and it was full of wasps when I went to hook up to my disc the other day. So it's that time of the year, yep. snakes and bugs. And we've had some nice weather though. It's been awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, so it's gonna be, don't worry, don't worry. It'll be hot for opening day. That last year. It wasn't now <laughs> last year. It was really nice on opening day. Last year was the best opening weekend weather I've seen as an adult. Yeah. It, like in, in a, a long, long, long time. Yeah. Um, I mean, I remember it was 50 on the dot. It was 50 degrees for three or four mornings in a row. Yeah. So, and I, I really think that's why everybody, not everybody, so many people killed velvet bucks that first weekend yeah. last year. Remember yeah. we talked to Jonathan Bordel on about that? Yep. That's pretty neat. Yep. Weather, weather, weather swap. <laughs> uh, we're talking about, um, in mentioning, you know, getting ready and prepping land. I want to remind you, um, if you haven't seen what Slade Priest is up to, uh, Slade is now a Realtree United Country Land Pro and uh, partnered up with uh, Realtree United Country Hunting Properties. And nobody sells more in our area, specifically in the southwest Mississippi area. And, um, you know, what makes Slade so unique in what he does is he spent his whole life as an outdoorsman, um, part of the Trained Assassins uh, hunting television show and still a part of some of the United Country digital media hunting um, 
that you can find online. And he spent his whole life as an outdoorsman, as a hunter. So when it comes to listing recreational hunting properties, he knows exactly what he's looking at. He knows exactly how to market it. So whether you're looking for that piece of land or whether you're looking to list a piece of land, he knows how to pair up with the right buyers and the right sellers and find people what they're looking for in terms of hunting property and recreational property. So you can check him out at huntinglandmanms.com. And uh, he's also got his own podcast where he talks a lot about what he does with this style of real estate. And uh, the passion comes through. Nobody sells more. So we thank Slade for supporting the podcast. Um, Absolutely. Kyler, you mentioned my hunt um, in Missouri. So, you know, what, what we're going to do with this with this podcast, you mentioned also that the, the pod equipment didn't work uh, last week. So, um, you know. As Brian's normally, he's second fiddle, so uh, we called in Brian from the bullpen to to fill in while we tried to stopgap that situation. But um, that's just part of the story, and 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 what we want to talk about it. It actually fits really nice. There are a lot of hunts in September, both in our state and other places. And um, Brian's been on a few hunts already this year. We want to kind of find out more about how that experience went for him, and as far as me. Missouri, um, man, you're talking about the weather. And the reason I went, I have access to hunt some property in Missouri uh, whenever I get the chance to go. And with COVID that I went through with my myself and my family and then followed a, a week later by the hurricane, my early season hunts were just that my plans were gone. I was going to go to Nebraska for Labor Day and um, – and hunt that and i just had kind of given up well we got and it was 45 degrees um low temperature and it got up to maybe 70 both days i was there i kind of made a last minute decision on friday of last week i bought some airplane tickets and uh went up there on monday and hunted tuesday and wednesday i had a blast i don't know you know how much how much um emphasis do you guys put in the moon phase like what what are your thoughts about moon phase and i'll tell you why i'm asking this after you share your thoughts with me I, all right so my 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 thing is um i've never tracked it that heavily i will admit i'm not super educated on it but i do know that and this is really common knowledge i do know that i don't see a lot of early morning activity on a full moon and that's really about the only moon phase that i pay attention to um, and I will say that I will hunt a little later and I, in my, as I'm getting, getting older, sometimes I won't even go in later on the morning after a full moon and I'll do like a, you know, a nine or 10 AM to the rest of the afternoon hunters or scout all morning and find a spot mid morning. Yeah. So that's about all I, all I ever really cared about. I've never tried to piece it together any more than that. Brian, do you, do you pay attention yeah, I mean, I, to it? I think. Yeah, I think it makes I think it makes sense that you know they've got light and it's a little more comfortable out there, and they've got you know, enough light and they're out feeding and stuff like that that they would maybe wouldn't show up same time during the day, you know, as in other moon phases. But I mean, I think deer. I don't know if you can ever put them in a box, you know. Yeah. But I would say yep. it's very possible that it has a it has a uh, an impact. So, go ahead. I, one one other thing I do I do want to say about that I I remember Harmon Carson mentioning on either his first or second podcast with us years ago 
talking about how he puts more emphasis on hunting new moon than he does full moon and what to do around a full moon. He he thinks that a if I'm not mistaken, I think he thinks a, a new moon is um, more impactful than um, a, a full moon is. So um, that's just something to throw out there. Ultimately, I need to do more research on it, but I, I, I'm going hunting no matter what. That's why I've never yeah. really, uh, I've never said I'm not going. It's the full moon, you know. Yeah. So y'all don't y'all don't, uh, y'all don't subscribe to the red moon calendar. No, but if you'd, you'd kill 200 inch deer if you did, whether they live there or not. Yeah. Does that come? Does that come with the? Uh, does that come with it's the a bottle of tank It comes with a, and a yeah, bottle yeah. of tank 69. And the black the black Perfect. rack. In a in a YouTube red video uh, description, perfect. All right. So so here here here's why I asked that. All right. So I I, I'm with you, Kyler. I mean, to a certain extent, I'm gonna I'm gonna go hunting and I'm gonna strategize around the information given to me. But I'm gonna go hunting um, if I want to. Either way, you know. um, Mm -hmm. However, however you want to put that, but. In the, in the event of buying airplane tickets and actually traveling somewhere, you kind of take in all the information you can, right, and decide, is this the time to do it or should I not go now, you know, um, at least in, in my situation where I'm, I'm able to kind of make that last-minute decision. So there was a full moon while I was there, and I'm talking about one of those kind, like, like just kind of awe-inspiring, bright, full moon, like crazy full. Well, the reason I went, was because of the temperature drop. Well, it, they hadn't had, they hadn't had a cold front, and and gotten the temperatures down like that yet this year, and so you had the high pressure cold front and you had the standing beans. And the concept there is those bigger deer are more likely to show up in the beans in the daylight, or be out in the beans after daylight, and you can catch them coming back to bed. Basically, the colder yeah. weather alters that feeding pattern and the whole time i mean we've seen plenty of deer we've seen deer doing exactly what they were supposed to do we just didn't see the right deer and we had pictures of shooter bucks at 5 30 in the morning and 8 30 at night so basically an hour before and an hour after just like they had been all summer well not all summer but just like their their typical nocturnal pattern and my cameraman colin kept saying man i think it might be the moon you know, and I don't know if he's right or not because, you know, typically when you've got standing beans and you get that first cool front, um, there's high odds, you know, um, and it just didn't happen. We didn't even see any out of bow range. Uh, the closest thing I got was a three-year-old eight-point uh, coming back to bed in the morning time. So I don't know. I, my thought about it is I, I, I don't necessarily say that I play the moon but I do pay attention to it because I think that later in the season when the deer are on different patterns, the moon does affect their movement. But in my mind, I'm thinking on a summer feeding pattern where we know that they have very, you know, I mean, it's pretty much established that deer have a pretty direct, simple pattern in summer. It's bed to feed, feed to bed, and they don't typically move that far, right? Um, they're, they're, usually pretty close to where they where where they're feeding and later in the season they actually move more and they move longer distances specifically when you start talking about pre-rut and rut and then post-rut and refueling after and the limited availability of food when the brows and the acorns are are going away and all that kind of thing so i think in that case the moon plays a bigger role 
my thought was I ignored the moon because I thought, well, I mean, a cold weather front is going to yeah, get it. Yeah, you're paying attention to the Yeah, I'm, I'm, thinking, yeah. I'm thinking that deer's laid up within a couple hundred yards of this bean field, and it, this cold weather front's liable to keep him, get him up on his feet before dark, regardless of the moon. But it didn't happen. Well, I'm... I'm glad I'm glad you went because when you were thinking about going, and I don't know if you were bouncing this off of anybody else, but you had texted me. We were texting mm-hmm. back and forth, and you're like, "I'm thinking about going to Missouri. I got to you know book this and go pretty soon." And typically, most people when they're on the fence of something like that, and it involves doing something major like traveling 14 hours or flying, most people pull back, especially when it involves doing something. Uh, as involved as traveling a couple of states away, flying, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just a short trip. And th- to me, that's where regret comes from, you know, is not doing something. So even though you didn't, you didn't kill anything. Um, I'm just glad that you went, got that experience, figured this out. Well, you, you know, maybe in the future, it'll save you some money where if these same conditions pop up again. You'd be like, ah. I'm going to sit this full moon phase out, even though, you know, it's an Arctic blast coming or whatever. Yeah. So, um, I like that. I, it's a compliment because I like your, I like your decisiveness there. Most people don't do that. Most people are like, eh, it's hard. I'm not going to go, you know, there were a lot of, there. and I know you and I texted back and forth. There was a lot of that going on in my head. Like I only got two days to hunt and I got a lot when to do people at home. Do that, they don't, they don't typically go through with it. And when you were like, yeah, book a flight, I'll leave Monday. I'll yeah nice so let me tell you, you know. one really quick story about that that will even even further drive home this um spontaneous off-the-cuff nature that i'm acting on here which i had no control over this but so we all know and probably have heard how much damage there is in the laplace area from the hurricane power's out mm-hmm. there's no red lights the few red lights that are working are on like generators and there's a cop standing there flipping them off and on. So I, my flight out of new Orleans is at six o'clock on Monday evening and everything's going great. We leave and we're going to be like an hour and a half early. I mean, we're going to be at the airport two hours before the flight, plenty of time to get checked in, whatever we get to, I'm coming up 55 into Laplace and there's an 18 wheeler on fire on the I-10 overpass or the I-10 uh, high rise over Pontchartrain, and the interstate's completely shut down, and they're redirecting traffic through Laplace. And it took us—I I can't remember now—but long story short, and I swear to you, this is the God honest truth. I pulled my truck into short-term parking, and I hit the lock button and started walking into the terminal at 5:27 with a bow case check bag cameraman with his stuff we were standing in line to board the plane at 535 what how unbelievable is that we ran we got lucky you know those those pay for carts where you pay to haul your luggage somebody had left one at the door so we didn't have to check it or anything we threw our stuff on there we sprinted to the escalator we ran up to check our bags there was nobody there was three agents and one of them was empty they knew we were in a hurry. They threw our stuff on there. They just kind of gave us that brief, hey, you got to hurry. Um, late check-in, bags aren't guaranteed. I'm like, whatever, good. So nice. we sprint to TSA. We sprint straight to the conveyor belt. There's nobody in line at TSA. Go straight through, sprint to the gate. Literally seven minutes from the truck 
to standing in line to board. That is the least New Orleans, New Orleans story I've ever heard. And I, I've, look, we sat in that crap in Laplace in traffic for however long that was, from uh, two hours, I think, from 3.30. Yeah, because 3.30, we were going to be there at 4. 3.30 to 5.30, basically. And I'm like, I had given up. I was on the phone with Southwest, and I was like, look, what can I do here? I was like, I'm not going to make it in time. She was like, you got, you have up to 10 minutes or something before um, departure time, and you can cancel your flight at no cost and forward it to another. So I'm like, okay, we'll come back another time and hunt later in the season, and we'll fly then. So, I, But she's like, you have to do that with an agent at the airport. You can't do it on the phone. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, I'll make it within 10. I mean, at that point, we're finally kind of getting out of the traffic, and I'm like, well, you know, we're going to get there um, in time for that. I was going in the airport expecting that – I was going in to cancel my flight, but then, you know, we just gave it, you know, just nice. kind of whatever. So, yeah, so we get on the plane, and we're, like, both out of breath. Um, oh, I want to include also kudos to the little girl working the cash register. That seven minutes also includes me stopping and buying two bottles of water right before we got to our gate. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, so um, uh, she did it quick. I'm like, can you scan these really, really fast? I got to go. And uh, anyway, so <laughs> yeah, so he's like, yeah, you know what all this means? We're gonna kill a booner. I'm like, I, this is just meant to be. <laughs> so it's kind of yeah. like the video of the hat. It didn't happen, but um, yeah. but it was fun. And you're right. Um, if anybody finds themselves in that situation, I've been on hunts before where I was supremely confident, and that's you know one of the reasons that I decided to make this hunt was because I was very confident in the odds. And, you know, this property's not been bothered at all. Nobody's hunted it. Um, Nobody's even really been on it that much other than the farmer and my buddy up there running cameras a little bit. And I'm like, this, you know, as good odds as I can. And I've been on hunts where I was just just disappointed in this one. Just I'm not. But for a lot of the same reasons that that you talked about. I I made the decision, and it was was a blast to go and sit in a tree and and get to enjoy that Mm -hmm. kind of weather. And just, you know, it was all good. So. Well, that's that's a that's a that's a great topic, a fantastic topic, confidence, and um, I I learned a big lesson last year. Um, I, I think when I told the story about me shooting my first buck from the ground, I remember sitting there on I put my M7 low on a tree, and I was actually sitting on the platform, leaning back against the seat that was folded down. I had some palmettos in front of me. It's 4.08 p.m. in November, so it gets dark in like 39 minutes, right? And I remember sitting, I remember being there like, this is a waste of time. You're late. You're an idiot. You're not going to see anything, and your daughter's birthday party is tomorrow, and you're going to be in trouble for staying at the camp tonight. Like, just all these reasons why I shouldn't be hunting, and I killed that buck. And so, and then that happened another time also on a big, like, low-confidence hunt. And it reminds me that you, your feelings have no bearing on the behavior of the environment around you. Nothing exactly. whatsoever. You can have, like you said, you can feel extremely confident and see nothing. See three squirrels, your favorite, you know. Um, but anyway um, – Damn squirrel! Damn so, squirrel! Uh, yeah, yeah, there's <laughs> laugh track, laugh track. Um, but um, anyway, I uh, that's that's a whole topic for another day. Is confidence and lack of confidence? It doesn't matter. It's all irrelevant, you know. Yeah. Um, but I will say, and we've actually never talked about this on the podcast. 
um, we I don't think we've ever brought up New Orleans ever because most people in the state New Orleans is kind of New Orleans is the outlier city. It's not Louisiana, right? It's like a major city that Louisiana is around, and um, I I went to college in New Orleans. I lived in New Orleans for eight years. I got my, my house got robbed three times. It just that that New Orleans is a terrible place that will always keep you down and always keep you you know under the thumb of the city. I I cannot believe that you went through the gauntlet somehow and actually had great service and a good experience in that city <laughs> because. I've never been I, through any airport I mean, like that. My favorite part of New Orleans is leaving. That's yeah, it. I, I can't I stand it. I agree. The only thing I can figure is the traffic was so bad, everybody else was missing their flights, too. I don't know. Yeah. But, well, <laughs> let's, get, let's get on to, to talking yeah. about Brian and his hunts and, and, and whatnot. So yeah. um, bef- before we before we do that, I want to I wanna ask you some questions, though, Brian, before we get into your hunts. I mean, we're going to start doing this from now on. I want to talk about gear. Mm-hmm. What are you shooting? What's your bow? Did you change anything? And what arrows are you shooting? Like, did, did you are you making any changes for this year? I understand that's more than one question, but yeah. tell us about your gear this year. What what are you? What's your choice of gear this year? Yeah, so I, I didn't change bows, um, vertex. I'm shooting the Matthews vertex. Um, arrows I changed. Um, was Eastern Axis four millimeter arrows. Mm-hmm. Um, the 250 spine so i'm drawing 70 pounds 30 inches um 30 inch draw and uh and also shooting a a fixed broadhead the uh those uh montex the d5 montex okay um are they one you said 125 no 100 100 100 okay gotcha so why did you change arrows well i uh i think just curiosity so yeah being on Obviously, the Facebook page, you see a bunch of stuff going back and forth as far as FOC and as far as the weight of arrows and, and all that kind of stuff. I'd never paid attention. You've probably seen some comments from me on there where I'm like, I just you know buy a, uh, a Carbon Express uh, Maxima Red and put on a 100 grain you know, <laughs> a broadhead and, uh, and, home, go, yeah. and, and go hunting. So never really paid attention to weight, anything like that. And so, you know, there's a lot of people that that believe in in the difference that all of that makes i just figured this year i was going to pay a little bit more attention to it and and see if it could make a difference especially when i was headed out west where i knew there's a potential to have a 70 or or 80 yard shot on an elk Mm -hmm. um so i just kind of want to give myself the best opportunity so arrows the the decent access four millimeter um arrows um and i think we weighed them at 470 grains which I don't think is real heavy, but it's also, mm-hmm. you know, not, not yeah, real light. Pretty average. So, yep. Yep. And so, but that's what I felt comfortable with. I mean, I sat here in the backyard for months getting up in the morning before work and shooting out to, you know, 70 and 80 yards and then doing the same thing in the afternoon and got, got real comfortable, you know, with that, with that setup. I also changed my, my release. Um, I was using one of those, uh, I don't know what you would, we call them where they it's just kind of like a clamp you know like a caliper uh, a cap caliper yeah yeah and uh so i was using that i've been using that for for years the same one um for years and i switched over to one of those that just has the hook and it just seems a little mm-hmm. more seems a little more more crisp um easier to get on to 
you know, my D loop and stuff. And so switch that up. And uh, honestly, I feel a lot more confident, even though when we talk about my trip out West, it may not seem like it, but, um, but I feel a lot more confident in, in the way that I'm shooting. Cool. So when yep. you swapped releases, did, um, did you have a different point of impact when you swapped releases? Yeah, I think, um, well, when I, we changed a lot of things whenever I swapped releases. Um, and I, there's, there's more to the story. I actually, uh, I, I had my bow set up and the bow wasn't quite at, <laughs> at a 30 inch draw when it should have been. So I was kind of compacted mm -hmm. and, having a little bit of trouble. So in the, in the middle of switching releases, actually switching my release is what led to me figuring out that there was other adjustments that I needed to make to my bow because it started eating up my D loop. And uh, I had some frays on the D loop already. And I think it was just eating into that when I switched over to that different release. And so went up to, to get that replaced. And as I did that, found out that my draw length wasn't what it was supposed to be. Um, mm -hmm. and so got, got that fixed, which adjusted everything. Um, and then at that point, you know, it's, it's just, it's weird whenever you don't know that you're not set up correctly and then you, but you feel a little uncomfortable, you know, there's something wrong, but not, don't know what it is. And you wouldn't expect that your draw length isn't what it was supposed to be. And then all of a sudden everything comes together and, and how much difference it makes and, and how you're shooting. Yeah. The reason, the reason why I asked was because I, um, I really love the idea of a hook release. I like, mm -hmm. and this is why, I like the idea of not having to take the eyes off the animal, your eyes off the animal, and right. then putting your release on by feel only, um, mm -hmm. and not having to, you know, look at you because when you have that caliper, you got to clip it on, so you got to right. give two seconds of your time, break your attention mm -hmm. from the deer, and. Um, and so, and if it's a real tense situation, that might be a movement or that might be a poorly timed movement that could give you away or whatever. And, um, so I started shooting, I had a friend with one and had another friend with another one and I, I shot theirs and I, I was having way, like way different point of impact, like four or five inches to the left, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when I switched to this other one, it was only three inches to the left. And so ultimately I was like, you know, I don't have, I don't have a problem. I don't need to fix this problem. I just want, I was hoping I could add this other advantage, if you will. Mm -hmm. And ultimately I kind of backed away from it. I was like, no, nah, I'm good yeah. with what I got. I'm good. Yeah. So um, I'll tell you, I, anyway. I feel like, I feel like as far as, uh, as far as shooting, just a lot, a lot crisper with that, uh, with that new release, you know, like, uh, I don't know, just, it, I really like it a lot more than I, than I do with the caliber. Cool. Well, um, so you went to Montex, you went to fixed blades for, um, for your big game hunt. Are you, you're sticking with those for deer season? You know, I, I, uh, I know we're going to get into that Kentucky hunt in a little bit, but that's what I use in Kentucky also. And it worked out, it worked out really well. They, they seem to fly, you know, very, you know, accurate penetration, obviously. The only thing is there's a little bit of a question in my mind as far as, um, you know, blood trail and stuff like that. But as we get into that mm -hmm. conversation, I think we'll find out that some of that has to do with me. Um, <laughs> gotcha. <so. laughs> okay. Yep. Well, well <laughs> <laughs> my oh, finger's man. been on the button waiting. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> well, um, 
I, I, uh, I, I can't wait to hear about your hunts. I, I, just, I wanted to get off on that, that foot, though, because there's something that I want to talk to all bow hunter guests about is what's your gear? Why? Why did you pick it? Why did you change? What are you thinking about changing, et cetera, et cetera? Because we got to remember, this is, a, this is a singular sport. This is a one-man show. And we don't, it's not like we're, you're in the duck blind with five other people asking people why they shoot one shell over another or one gun over another. Like we're, we're up in a tree by ourselves. Right. We don't really get a whole lot of insight unless we're at deer camp together looking at people's bows hanging on the wall. But after, right. after the season starts, you're, you're on an island. And so yep. um, I, I want to make this a, con- a constant question that we ask moving forward. So um, anyway, uh, Tell us, tell us about, uh, tell us about, oh, wait, hold wait. on. Lock, you have to introduce our uh, sponsor. Yeah, so, so, <laughs> 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 if you, <laughs> if you listen to, uh, if you listen to, uh, last week's podcast, our first episode of season four, you will know that our guest is brought to you every week by Movement Mortgage and Brian Chamberlain. <laughs> However, <laughs> in this specific case, I'm not sure that I can tell you more about Brian Chamberlain than the man himself. <laughs> so <laughs> we're gonna uh I'm gonna give him his own his own uh his own read. So uh tell us about yeah. you, Brian. Yeah, all right. Well, I guess I'm supposed to talk about myself and, and mortgages, which is uncomfortable sometimes, but I'll I'll go through it. So basically nineteen years old. Um got a job putting together furniture at a mortgage company then answering phones, then got a loan officer license in 2001. And then for the last 20 years, I've spent my, my, my career um, originating loans in the secondary market, buying loans from other banks and servicing them. Um, and so it's uh, building teams. And now I've got um, a branch in, in Mandeville, Louisiana, licensed in Louisiana, Texas, and Mississippi, where I've got a, a personal team where we originate quite a bit of loans, and then I, I manage production for a few other branches across the state of Louisiana. And um, I mean, it's just a—it's and I'll, I'll tell you about Movement Mortgage more than my more than myself. I've, I've worked for a few different companies throughout the year or throughout the years, and uh, Movement is kind of a special uh, company. It's kind of—it was started to fund a foundation. Um, that foundation is a nonprofit, the Movement Foundation. So 40%, a little over 40% of our profit, every single deal that closes, every every dollar that's made, 40 cents of that dollar actually goes to the Movement Foundation where they're building hope centers in South America. They've got land in Uganda where they're teaching people how to farm. They're building charter schools for underprivileged areas across the country. So the, last year, $250 million was given to the Movement Foundation. So it's... They, they say more than mortgages is kind of our our slogan, um, and it's just kind of a it's kind of a cool deal to, to in a, in a, the financial industry where you get a, a bad rap, especially after 2008, to be part of something where it truly is supporting a lot of things in the world um, that maybe you know are people in the world that don't have the opportunities that we have here in the United States. Cool. That's awesome. So tell cool. tell people how they can get in touch with you uh, yeah. in, in your office. Yeah, so the best, I, I answer my cell phone seven days a week, 504-228-3780. That's the best way to get in touch. If it's a, a refinance, purchasing a home, if you are 
wanting to do a renovation loan, if you're impacted by a recent hurricane, we've got some programs with 100% financing um, for for that purpose. Um, pretty much every program that's out there that we can do, and I've got a lot of experience with. Well, awesome. I'll add this. I just I actually had my refi done by Brian. I don't I don't know maybe four to six months ago. I think I think mm -hmm. it was before the summertime, springtime, um, yep. and uh, I. In my opinion, it was a very complicated situation. Brian says he deals with it all day long, and it was really no big deal. But I'm self-employed, and that is oftentimes challenging for getting refied or loans or approvals, et cetera, et cetera. And um, it was extremely easy. It dealt with Brian a lot of the times, his team some of the time for some of the admin side of things, and it was really great. So I highly suggest, Brian, um, the only thing that I'll say is that um, when you send those update videos, you need to change shirts in between them. Okay, you gotta, <laughs> you you gotta, you gotta make it look like you filmed those on different days. All right. <laughs> hey, Locke, that's actually part of something we need to talk about. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> so anyway, well, so uh, well, thanks, man. I appreciate you telling us about that. Yeah. So yep, thank uh, you guys. we appreciate your support on the podcast, and um, if you're looking for any financial needs contact brian support one of our own and uh brian we appreciate you uh introducing yourself that was great yeah. and uh <laughs> but 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 what we wanted to talk about so when we talked about my missouri hunt I, I didn't actually shoot anything and i didn't have a chance to kill a velvet deer anyway because um i it, well i say there's always a chance i guess but every deer on camera while i was up there um, had already lost their velvet. They typically do about that first that first week of September, and um, <clears throat> but you, on the other hand, ha have made a couple of hunts, and that's kind of the theme of the podcast, so, so to speak, is just talking about early season hunting and the different opportunities outside of our state where the weather's nicer this time of the year. So you you went to Kentucky on a velvet hunt, and then you went out west to Utah, correct? Yep. On an elk backpack trip. So. Um, that's uh, we want to hear. I guess give us give us some stories and tell yeah. us a little bit how it went. Yep, I think the the we got to start on kind of talking about how I got to Kentucky because that wasn't part of the plan initially. So I'd been planning this elk hunt where we're we're jumping on horses and packing in with mules and and going back you know twenty miles um, in the high Uintas mountains in Utah and um, and uh, Hurricane Ida started coming towards us and we realized that that was going to hit us basically head on. So that did, and that hit us the weekend before I was supposed to leave to go to Utah. Um, so I canceled you know, that Utah trip. Um, just, you know, we're here with generators. I got all my wife's family at the house and I'm running to Mississippi to get gas and milk and back and forth every day, just trying to keep everybody comfortable here. Um, and, um, and so I canceled that trip. And as we started to get things back together, get things cleaned up, and uh, you know we're about to get power back on, um, a buddy of mine was headed to uh, to Kentucky for a hunt, and uh, and I was talking to him. I was like, you know, I'm not going to be able to make my my elk hunting trip, which I've been looking forward to all year. Um, I think uh, I think I'm just going to jump in the truck with you and head to Kentucky. And so I did that, and um, you know we went up there and. It's been a few days and it was slow for the most part, um, but on the last day of that hunt, well, back up um, a couple days before that hunt ended, 
I got a I got a call from two of the guys that that uh, Carlin and uh, and uh, Andrew that were supposed to go on that elk hunt with me that had actually gone. Um, they they don't one lives in Nashville, one lives in Pennsylvania, and um, so they had actually gone. And I get this phone call from them when they get out of the woods talking about how they were covered up in elk. Andrew shot a bull, Carlin shot a bull, but didn't recover it. Uh, but they're just covered up in elk and got me all pumped up and and so. I get a text from Rusty, the guy that we were going with. It says, hey, if you can be here on the 9th, we're going to go back in if you want to go. And so I text my wife. She never texts me back. She wasn't really <laughs> excited about it and said, hey, I'm, uh, Rick's dropping me off at the airport in Lexington when we're done here. And I'm going to fly to Utah. And, uh, and uh, my buddy Steve is going to meet me there. He lives in the Florida Keys. But he's going to meet me there. I got my camera gear with me. He's going to film. And uh, we're going to head into the woods and they'll be off the grid for a week. Um, so finished up the hunt in Kentucky, um, ended up shooting a, a, a decent eight point. I never shot a velvet buck before. I think you probably saw it. I posted on, on, on Louisiana Bowhunter on the Facebook mm -hmm. uh, community page. Um, you know, ended up shooting that deer on the, on the last hunt of the last day in Kentucky and then jumping on a plane out of Lexington and flying to Utah, um, and I'm glad that I did, even though, you know, I, obviously my wife, she works very hard, she works with me on my, my team at, at, at Movement, but we also have three little girls and everything else that she does, you know, for us, so it's kind of a, a little bit of a, you know, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't have done it, but I've just been looking forward to that trip, you know, all year long, and kind of hearing the excitement from Andrew and Carlin, and Anyways, I just like I had to go, and I'm glad I did because it was probably no, not probably it was the best hunt that I've that I've been on. I mean, you think about an adventure, you know, you think about um, and you watch a lot of the YouTube videos and stuff like that, and you think about screaming elk and and all this kind of stuff. And and I'd been the last four years just you know, we usually go into into Colorado. I've got a little spot down there where I've killed one elk, uh, just a cow elk, you know. But we're hiking in seven miles on foot. And just uh, hanging out for a week and, and trying to figure it out, do it yourself, over the counter, all that kind of stuff. But this was an opportunity to really get in there and have an opportunity at a big bull. And so I got a camera guy, a plan to film an awesome hunt. We fly in, we meet up, we drive to the trailhead, we load up on horses. And the guy, the guy asked me, he's like, you know, have you ever, you know, are you familiar with horses? I was like, yeah, I mean, I've seen them before. I, I rode one in high school. And uh, and I'm, I'm 40 now, and so <laughs> we're about to ride 20 miles over some mountain ranges and all kinds of stuff. And I'll tell you what, I came out of there a horseman. I uh, I had a, a horse <laughs> almost die of colic, where we had to like get it up and walk, and it didn't want to get up, and just all kinds of crazy chaos going on. And uh, and as we get back in the woods, we get set up, and uh, day one, we get up about five o'clock in the morning. We're going to hike about three miles. You know, to get to this, they call them a, a Bali, which is basically like a baldy. We're up at an altitude where, where you know, the mountains up top are just kind of rock slides and bald, and and then it gets down to like where it meets up with with uh, the timber, and there's like vegetation there, and I guess those elk really like being up against that bald mountain inside the timber um, with a lot of vegetation they can feed on and stuff, and so we're making a loop to get down into the right wind position to start working our way back toward camp so we hike about three miles or so we get down there we hear some rocks crumbling in the woods and i can see some legs of elk walking about 60 yards in the woods so 
we get set up, Steve drops back, who's my buddy that's that's filming this. He drops back, um, you know, maybe like 15 yards behind me, behind a log into a tree, just kind of get some cover with the camera. Um, I'm up front in position. Rusty drops back about 60 or 70 yards and starts cow calling. And uh, this is day one, you know, in the morning, morning hunt. And all of a sudden, we probably have 20 or 30 cows that are just covered, covering us up to the point where I can't move. I'm looking at them out of the corner of my eye to the point where my eye actually hurts because I'm, I'm, I can't move my head. I'm looking at the corner for so long. <laughs> and the, the, the coolest part about it is this is why you don't invite your buddy that's a vegan to come be your cameraman. <laughs> Um, he's a vegan, happens. is that what you said? <laughs> he's not really. He, he gets pissed when I call him a vegan because he's like, "Dude, I, I wear leather belts. I just I'm whole food, plant based." Mm. And so he had a weight, he had a weight problem. <laughs> he had a weight problem and decided to go that route, and he lost like sixty pounds. And so, but he'll eat a hamburger with you when he's drunk. The um, but anyway, he's back here. I'm thinking we're getting the best footage ever. I got cows at eight yards. They're all over us. Anyways, and they kind of move on. They get a little bit spooked and they move on. Turn around with a big smile on my face. I'm like, hey, Steve, did you get that? He's like, get what? I'm like, you, you didn't get any of that? He's like, oh, no, I didn't want that. Oh, man, that's bad. Yes. Yes. <laughs> like, you got to be kidding me, dude. So it gets, uh, it gets better. We get up out of there and we we're, we now get back on track where we're headed to. And no bulls aren't bugling the first few days that we're there. But we get on track, we go, we got to cross a, a little creek. This creek is probably 10 feet across some rocks that, you know, in, you know, you'd think if you're carrying a, you know, a few thousand dollars in camera gear and there was a slippery rock and the water wasn't that deep that you just sacrifice a wet boot, but not Steve. Steve's got to put his hand down with a camera in it and dunk my entire camera underwater. What? So, <laughs> no, man. <laughs> yes, sir. So my camera's toast. Real. My uh, all my stuff is toast, and uh, it's uh, it's about two hours into the first day that we're there, and so, and I would like to be upset with Steve, but I spent most of my twenties broke, and uh, Steve was always there to buy me a beer, so I uh, I kind of I had to think about it that way and just kind of shake it off. Um, but so we that that happens. We get back to camp, you know, it's all just beautiful up there. We're really just kind of taking everything in. You start to realize, man, we just rode horses 20 miles back to get here. First hunt, we're covered up in elk. Second hunt, we're in elk. Third hunt, we're in elk. Some smaller bulls, cows, spikes. Um, fourth hunt, we're in elk. And then we get to this, maybe this is the uh, third day, the evening hunt. We get down into this new area, so we're going to go check out. As soon as we get down there, we got bulls bugling. And there's like four of them that are bugling. And, you know, I've hunted elk for four years. I've heard some bugles, but not like this, where they're just going crazy. They got a hot cow, and I'm sitting across the meadow from them. They're up in the timber. I'm probably, you know, 80 yards across the meadow. And I can see them up there. They're about 120 yards away from us. They're in the timber um, going nuts. And there's a, there's a, in my mind, a giant is probably, he says probably a 320 inch, you know, six by six. And it's in there and we're, we drop back, get in position, cow call. We can't get them away from that, from that hot cow, obviously. And that hot cow starts moving away from us. So we gotta, we gotta kind of move and figure out how we're going to get on them. And so we're running around, getting, getting into the right wind position. We got to go all the way around this meadow, come up 
it probably is an hour and a half or two hours of trying to work ourselves into this position. And I've been doing nothing but thinking about 70 and 80 yard shots on elk at my house and shooting that way constantly. But there was not much that could prepare me for running uphill and bulls bugling, screaming everywhere and running uphill and having to stop behind trees. And then we would move when he would bugle. We'd move when he was raking something. We'd always move when there was noise to get closer and closer. And I wasn't expecting it, but all of a sudden Rusty's like, all right, Brian, 55 yards, knock an arrow, shoot, shoot, shoot. And I look and I've got a lane that's about three feet wide, 55 yards. And I take a shot and I watch that arrow just, arrow just bury in him, but high. And so uh, basically I hit him, hit him about eight inches below the top of his back, um, perfectly in the crease, but just too high and uh, not a drop of blood. Broke my arrow off with about 10 inches of penetration, but I think I just I just hit him in no man's land. And so we we spent the next day grid searching, looking everywhere for him, hours and hours and hours, um, but never uh, never recovered him. So we determined that you know it's no man's land. Someone's going to find that or shoot that bullet at some point. He's going to have an arrow in him, or it's going to it's going to it's going to fall out somewhere, and he's he's going to be fine. Um, so we go back to camp and. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm obviously bummed. You know, you, you work your butt off all year long. You've just hiked all over the place for three and a half days, you know, probably 12 or 13 miles a day for that one opportunity, and then you, you, you mess it up. And so I'm kind of bummed, but I also know I've got some hunting ahead of me. And, uh, and so we kind of suck it up and, and, and start hunting again. And um, the last day, um, the morning of the last day, we head out and about a mile away from us or so we hear bugles firing off and so we start running um we get over into position and just as we're coming through that that bolly that i spoke about earlier we're coming through there's a big rock ledge above us and a four by four comes up top he's about 45 yards arranged him drew on him but he turned and kind of trotted off they're still bugling i get set up and rusty drops back probably about 60 yards and uh, I'm set up. I got a rock on my, my right side and I got a tree on my left side. Um, and there's a small meadow. It's probably 100 yards across, like a finger of meadow that goes into the timber on my right hand side. And in front of me, there's a, like a ledge where it kind of drops off. And there's a bull bugling probably about 80 yards in front of me. We're trying to call him in. And a calf comes running across that meadow, stops about two or three feet in front of me, right in front, like I could reach out and pet it. And just looking in all directions, looking for, for that cow call. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what do I, you know, I can't move. This thing is literally right here. So I'm just trying to be perfectly still. And then a raghorn comes behind that cow about 30 yards, stops. It's looking around and it starts trotting off in front of me. And I've got one gap and I got a decision to make. Do I wait and try to shoot the bigger bull or what I think is a bigger bull? I haven't seen it, but I could hear it that's 80, 100 yards ahead of us that we haven't been able to draw in yet? Or do I shoot this four by four you know, that's, that's coming through and I'm gonna have a 27 yard shot you know, through this gap. And so I draw back and that little calf had kind of stepped with its head in front of that tree on my left-hand side, draw back and it kind of runs off. And that four by four walks through that gap. And uh, in, in, in hindsight, I'd have tried to stop him but I, I timed it and I shot. And when I shot, I mean, I hit him hard. And uh, 
he takes off running up the hill till I can't see him anymore. I'm watching, try to figure out where he's going. Go and look at my arrow. And as I go to look at my arrow, 45 yards out in that meadow, that big bull comes across, big five by five, comes across and stops broadside at 45 yards. And uh, and so I, I'm looking at that. I'm thinking, man, I just took the shot on the smaller bull. Maybe I should have waited. Um, I go over and pick up my arrow, and it's absolutely drenched in blood. It is dripping in blood and uh, blood all over the place. I'm like, okay, this thing's toast. Um, 60 yards, no more blood, just specs, grid searching for hours, and no recovery. Mm. That's how, that is how, that is how my, my hunt ended. So do you know, I mean, how well, could you tell where you hit it? Like, I mean, uh, I think, I, I think I hit them in the liver. I think that because back. you don't realize those, those, they travel even when walking. And it's funny because there was another guy, there's a guy in camp with us that is a, a, an attorney in Chicago and a real like intellectual, almost annoyingly intellectual guy, but a nice guy. And uh, he, uh, he actually was doing some calculations <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and we, we figured out like, it's very possible that an elk walking, you know, from the time that that arrow, you know, leaves my bow till it hits him very well could have moved 12 inches, you know, to where I think, uh, I think what happened is instead of stopping him, I tried to time it and, and I just hit him a little bit back. I think I got liver and uh, he's dead somewhere. It's just somehow that plugged up, that blood stopped and we just weren't able to find him. You know, those things can move so quick. You know, cover so much ground. You just don't know where they've gone if you don't have blood. Yeah, yeah, that that's not fun. That, that that's a difficult story. I, I I guess for this might be a pointless question, but do you feel like there was a broadhead that would have put the put the animal down, or do you think that it's just the shot placement? I th- I mean, obviously, if I put that arrow through his lungs he'd have fallen in sight. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. That broadhead, I shot that for penetration. Um, and uh, just because they're a big animal. Um, and I think that broadhead would have done its job perfectly had I done my job perfectly. Um, but is there a broadhead that could make up for me not doing my job perfectly? I don't I don't know the answer to that question. Very well could be. Um, you know, do you give up penetration for for a mechanical that's got a, a wider cutting you know, diameter, um, you know, maybe, you know, if it, but you, you hope that you, that you make the a good shot and not a questionable shot. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's possible. Yeah. Well, I, I've always going, going all the way back to, to when I worked in an archery shop years ago and these kind of questions were seemed to be, especially, around august september when everybody's gearing up for for the fall these questions um pretty much seemed to happen with nearly everyone that that you ended up talking with in the shop that came in and 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 but i i obviously wasn't there uh, and, and to experience your situation but but what you said and i've said it on the podcast before what what you said is how i view things i mean it's it's uh I wouldn't go as far as to say that there aren't bad products on the market and that kind of thing, but if you shoot an animal through the lungs, you know, if if you you can you can shoot a lot of different things in terms of broadheads and arrows and 
uh, weights and, and all these different things, speed even, all this stuff. But if you make a good shot, um, it, it, it all becomes a little bit, I don't know what's the word, not irrelevant, but but yeah. uh, it, 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 it's all about that. So I, I, yeah. I agree with you. I don't think that there's I, – I, that one of the biggest beefs that I have with a lot of the marketing I see when it comes to archery equipment is it 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 seems like i don't want to say recently or nowadays or anything like that but in the in the in but i guess that's the only thing i can say uh it, it feels like the marketing has trended towards this kind of um ease of use performance kind of thing where you know don't worry about it if you shoot this right. it's going to take care of it you know what right. this is going to do the job for you no matter what and and that's just not the case because i mean i an animal that big even if you shoot it with a wide cutting head if you hit it back and it's like you said it's moving and you hit it that far back it's you're rolling the dice maybe maybe the cut is more effective and maybe he he goes down due to blood loss in in a way that you might have found him in that grid search as opposed to him getting far enough away that you couldn't find him in grid search but you still it's still just a coin flip at best yeah yeah well the the what you were saying about the the elk walking and, and um you know like you said calculating how far it would walk in the time frame that it took for your error to get there et cetera, et cetera. um it's um a very unpopular thing to talk about in bow hunting is the reality that we lose animals um the uh you know the the and and, and that's not that's not unique to just bow hunting Rifle hunters lose animals all the time. You shoot them with a shotgun and lose them. You shoot them with an atlatl and lose them. Um, a lot of times, though, um, bow hunters will experience the loss um, more heavily. Uh, it maybe is the best way I can say it because we have an arrow to give us feedback. Mm-hmm. If you're shooting a deer, if you're shooting an elk or a deer with a rifle, a bullet, um, if there's nothing but a pile of hair on the ground or a couple of spots of blood, obviously you can't go check your bullet to see if you got shot or see, or see if right. you hit liver or see if you got bubbles on it and it's pink and you hit lung or leg blood or whatever. And so a bow hunter seems to like endure the actual um, loss of an animal more than a rival hunter, I think, because we have feedback and we're standing at the shot of impact because it's a lot closer most of the time. Mm-hmm. It's not hundreds of yards away potentially. And, um, you know, I, I guess what I'm getting at is losing animals is part of hunting. It's a terrible part of hunting that we all want to try to avoid, but we have to remember that there's an animal in this equation also. It has its own right. variables that it's throwing at us. And, and honestly, your story your story on shooting while it's walking sounds I it, lock. I don't know if you picked up on it. it. Sounds exactly like your buck that you found in the pond two years oh, ago. I was thinking. I was thinking that uh, while it, you were talking. Y'all, y'all both said the exact same thing. I should have stopped him in hindsight. I wish I did. And he steps forward, and I hit further back than I wanted to. You right. both said the exact same thing. And now, now, granted, Brian was a further shot on a larger animal. But ultimately, the result was the same. So, you know, and it, of course, you've got 
he's got that regret of I should have stopped him, but I don't like stopping animals personally. I right. think it alerts them. It can lead to string jump. You uh, know what I mean? Exactly. It's a whole nother problem you introduced. And so right. there's no right answer. I'm sorry you lost animals. It's a part of it. I had a terrible year a few years ago where I lost a lot of animals. I felt like the worst hunter. I felt unworthy to go hunt animals. It's right. terrible. But, you know, you learn from it. You overcome it. Um, and uh, like you always talking about broadheads, there is no there is no elixir broadhead that will fix all of your shot placement problems. It doesn't exist. Um, but uh, it kind of leads back to what my ultimate perspective of bow hunting is, which is that we should all be working on being better woodsmen, hunters, and better um, uh, equipped personally to make great shots. Then we should be re- trying to fix our problems with equipment. You know, this yeah. isn't golf and we're trying to fix our slice. You can fix yep. your slice, you know, and yep. it just takes a little bit of extra effort. But also, like I said earlier, it's early season. You got the jitters. You flew out there on a whim, you know. Yep. Um, and plus, an elk is one of the few animals I, that talks back to you. It's like a giant yeah. turkey, yep. you know. Right. So, um, I mean, was, I, I don't, I don't fault you or anything. I, 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 I hope I don't want you to ever go through it again. But we, I wasn't there. I can't say anything that. You know anything about the situation, or that it could have been different, or anything like that? So I'll tell you, I'll tell you the the lesson because you know when you're in the middle of nowhere, you know everybody's either sitting by a fire. There's only a few people there; they're either sitting by a fire. You get a lot of time. It's not like you go hunting and then you go back to the office and you got a bunch of other stuff on your mind. Um, and not to say that even in that scenario, you're not sitting and just kind of rethinking everything, re- replaying everything. But I will, I'll tell you this next year when I go, cause I'm going to go on the same trip cause it was an awesome trip. Um, I think it's just kind of a maturity thing as far as, um, as far as patience, like it's okay if you don't take that shot in that gap and that elk gets away. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and honestly, if I, if I was mature enough at that point to, to say, you know what, that's not the elk for me. There's another one here. Hopefully I'll get an opportunity. That's not the best shot. Let them walk. Um, and then, uh, I would have had a 45 yard shot with a broadside five by five, nice elk in a meadow that wasn't even looking at me or paying attention to me had I not taken that shot. And so, you know, in my mind, for next year, I got to be willing to to let that that animal go and hope for another opportunity, as opposed to thinking, man, I just came 20 miles, I just ran a mile, I just got here, he's right there, I have to take this shot. You know, I think that's yeah. the big yeah. lesson that uh, I that I learned from it. I think that I I think that's that's great because I think that in a in a in a smaller way that can translate to. Um, even, even the guy who maybe says, you know what, I'm, I've got stuff with the family next weekend. I'm not going to be able to go next weekend. You know, I, I don't have a lot of time to hunt, et cetera, et cetera. And they take a question, you know, for the same, yeah. the same kind of pressure. And, and, and I, I think you're right. I think it's fair, uh, thing to say that we all should maybe kind of look at it from this perspective that if you, Let's just use the example. Um, it's a little different than your elk, but you know, let's use the example of of the private land hunter that that that's targeting a specific deer or, or, or a couple of specific deer, 
and they're on this they're on the property and you know if you take a questionable shot or you rush a shot maybe it's not so much a questionable shot but you rush it because you feel like if this is it's now or never well right. it, if if you if if you do that and you wound the animal or you scare the crap out of the animal then the never part becomes a much more of a reality than if you right. let him just chase that doe on by and keep hunting him and wait yep. for a better opportunity. Right. Um, I think that what you said applies to a whole lot of situations. I've, I've learned that myself. I've not so much as a, as a bow hunter, not so much in terms of shooting and losing animals. I mean, I've done that. I've taken bad shots. I've rushed shots and I've, wounded deer i mean i think anybody who hunts long enough is gonna gonna be able to say that but more so than that i feel like looking back i have messed up places messed up spots messed up plans by hunting with urgency when i when it wasn't necessary that that i mean that deer's home he lives there you know he's gonna be there there's gonna be a another day and and i've made decisions in the stand and tried to make things happen and ended up scaring deer off or or maybe you could even boil that down to maybe even kind of forcing your way into a spot that's not the right day to be doing that and messing them up and never having an opportunity or never getting another mm-hmm. opportunity. Yep. So, yeah, I think that's prevalent. And yep. Bow hunting is... Well, what? Go ahead. No, I was just say bow patience is a big part of bow hunting. Should be. I'll, yeah. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what hurts. Hurts a lot. That I know that everybody says this, but I'll tell you after after that happened, and we're sitting there, and everything's kind of gloom and doom, and I'm sitting on a rock in the middle of the woods with a bunch of horses that we had taken over there so that we could take this elk out of the woods, and we didn't find them. Um, when somebody says that's bow hunting, and uh, <laughs> I know people say that all the time, but I was like, man, I just don't want to hear that phrase right now. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's bow hunting. It's the truth, but that, it just sucks to hear that because you know at that point it's done. You know, like it, that's that's bow hunting. Yeah. You know. Yep. So anyway, well let's uh let's move on. Let's move on to another topic that I want to go over with uh, the two of y'all, which is. We're one week out from the season, or less than one week out. It starts this week. Um, what What are your goals this year for this hunting season? What do you? What, I know you've you both of y'all have already traveled. Y'all make me feel like I'm a poor person over here. But um, are you going places? Are you wanting to try and hunt a different style? Do you want? You know, what are your goals? Tell us. Tell me. Tell me what your goals are, Brian. Um, I've got a goal of two four year old or better bucks this year. That's my goal. One of them I'm hoping to happen in, in Missouri on some public land that I'm going to hunt. Um, one of the things I'm doing this year, last year, and you know this, Kyler, because um, you set a date to go to the Midwest to go hunt, mm-hmm. and the weather doesn't cooperate. So this year I'm setting a approximate time that I'm going to go to Missouri um, and then I'm just going to play weather patterns and, and, and go whenever the weather's right, as opposed to setting a date in stone. So my goal is this, to, to kill a, a public land buck in, in Missouri, four-year-old or better, and then also on our, on our property, on our private land, our lease, um, to do the same. Nice. 
Um, Locke, what are yours? So, um, well, I mentioned in the last podcast, I don't remember exactly what we were talking about, maybe new things or something like that, but I am, I'm going to stick to, one of my goals is to be successful while sticking to my, my more mobile strategy with my new mobile lock-on setup. That's that's kind of a small, I don't know that so much of that's a goal as, as it's just, I don't know exactly how to classify it. But as far as, I guess, other things, I, I want to make sure that I get my son an opportunity to, to shoot a deer with his bow. He's uh, This is the first year he's old enough to really bow hunt. Um, that would be exciting. That, that's one big goal. And then, I, I'm doing the same thing. Brian and I actually talked about this on the phone earlier today, and I'm kind of doing the same thing because I think one of the things that all three of us have in common is we all went to the Midwest to hunt pre-rut or rut. Brian, you were a little earlier than Kyler and I. Kyler and I went the same week to two different places and all had pre-planned trips and all had terrible weather and didn't have good hunts. Um, and so I'm I'm doing the same thing. Um, I'm going to go... So I, I drew a Kansas tag, and uh, I now have a Missouri license because I didn't fill my tag last week. So I, I definitely want to, um, probably more so than Missouri, I want to fill that Kansas tag. That's a big goal for me. Um, that's a, a, a kind of a, a special tag to have. It's a special place to hunt that area of the country. I've mentioned it on the podcast before, and so I'm excited about that. And then I... Um, I have not yet, since we bought the place, my my, my parents bought a, a small piece of property in Mississippi, uh, where I'm from, that's right down the road from my sister, and it's it's about 50 acres, but it's a really good 50 acres in terms of hunting, in terms of the way it lays out, and I've, I haven't killed a buck off of it yet, and I think it's been eight years. Um, I passed a bunch, a couple I probably shouldn't have, and so I definitely have a goal to finally... Um, finally punch that card and and kill a deer on my family property. So, I guess those are those are kind of my goals. The other goal is to just slow down and start enjoying it. I feel like I'm constantly on, in in a rush and busy all the time and squeezing it all in. And I want to try to go hunt with friends more, where I can just relax and just hunt. You know, yeah. do that more. Yeah. What about you? What about you? So. Uh, well, before I tell you my goals, I'll tell you all something that I think is kind of funny. Um, I went in the woods for the first time today, <laughs> like the all season, like like literally in the woods. Like I'm I'm talking like leaving concrete and walking into the woods. I, I haven't scouted a second. Um, I, I only went to the woods to get my cell cameras that I left up on public land last year that I. Mm-hmm. never went back and got um found all three of those you know no issues and um you know i got running the cars in them and they they died about february or march to stop sending pictures i think i think i have covert so covert i think they told me that once your battery gets got battery gets below 10 percent, it stops transmitting but it'll still take pictures so we'll see what's on them but i went in the woods for the first time today and um you know, nothing's really more 
invigorating and nothing gets you more excited for bow season like taking banana spider webs to the face all afternoon oh i love it um, so that got me pumped up again <laughs> so um i'm i'm a you know like ronnie duga he texted me after last week's episode because i'm glad to hear you're excited about bow season now like i feel like i'm the last one but i've been working on the camp so much that I haven't set foot in the woods until today. And the reason why I've been working on the camp was because I like having a lot of people at the camp. I like the party vibe, the hangout, public land, like let's let's like plan out where we're going to hunt for the weekend type thing. I want a lot of people to stay. I like the activity, et cetera, et cetera. And so I finally got the camp set up to where I can sleep six people comfortably with ACs and you know, everybody's got a bed, et cetera, et cetera. And um, so I went and got my cameras. I haven't, I haven't set any of them out yet. I have my spot set up for opening day um, or opening weekend, as long as the wind stays. I think it's south southwest or south west southwest. Excuse me, um, which is a great wind for a couple of spots I have. Um, so I don't really need to go in and find exact sign to set up on. I've got an area that I'm going to go to on Friday that I'm pretty pumped about. And, uh, so that's what I've been doing, but my actual goals, I actually haven't written down here. Um, so I don't, so I can go back over this at the end of the season. Number one is I want to hunt from the ground more. That's really exciting. Um, it's a totally different mindset from um, hunting out of a tree stand and trying to find the right tree. It's more about trying to find an area where you can hide within or beside or behind a cluster of trees or palmettos, whatever. And your best guess on where a deer is going to walk, but that's a really fun experience. So I want to hunt from the ground more. Um, secondly, I've never killed a deer over 140. I killed a 139 and five eighths. Um, and it was just like, not 140. I want to kill a 140 plus on public land this year. So I'm going to be using my cameras only to essentially figure out what's in the area and where my time is best spent. I don't really use cameras to determine, you know, when to be where on, you know, what feed tree or whatever. I, I, I use them for inventory of an area and then I go hunt the side of that area and if I don't see anything or I'm not getting anything, then that actually helps me stay away from places that aren't worth, worth my time. But um, so uh, that's number two. Number three is, um, and I've told both of y'all this, I want to kill a deer with a crossbow, but I don't want to pull it back until I have a deer in range, which <laughs> sounds crazy. But I think it's possible. So that and, that um, that goal is only worthy if you have somebody film it. I'm just saying. I, I don't disagree. That's going to be. I know that's. You're not wrong. May, that I, that you know what that might be. I might have to tag. Hold on. I might have to get. I might have to do this on Levi's place. Okay, because I, I know Levi would love to be in the tree next to me, filming me do this. Um, I want to do it with my little laughter and wah, wah, wah buttons ready to be and then, pushed. And then, well, but so I, I've spent far more time than anybody would ever want to spend on the phone with Jay James talking about the possibilities of this. Jay James thinks I'm an idiot um, for wanting to do this. <laughs> Brian 
Brian has offered <laughs> to let me use his Raven. So you know, you know how Jay is. Jay's a harsh personality. You either love Jay or you wouldn't piss on him if he was on fire, right? Mm-hmm. And I've told Jay that to his face many times, and he laughs every time I say he laughs real hard. JJ, he was like, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. You're an idiot. Why do you want to do that? And then out, you let him get that out of his system. And then he goes, ah, I think I got a crossbow that'll work for it. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, I, I think I got one that you can pull back with your hand, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I've got to work through the, the logistics of it. I obviously have to practice. But I think, you know, I told you I had a regret from last season. I wish I was more vocal about wanting to kill a deer from the ground because I killed two last year, and it was awesome. I'm setting – I'm teeing this one up. I want to kill a deer with the crossbow that I draw back while it's within crossbow range. And I don't mean like 100 yards crossbow. I mean like 60, 50, 40 yards type stuff, right? Okay. Um, mm-hmm. I hope that I kill a 140 with the crossbow. <laughs> knocked two of those off at one time um and then what's my what's my last one hold on um oh this is so this is a good one this, is, this one's more strategy based i it's more organized based than it is um the, you know in the field i um when it comes to deciding where to hunt sometimes i get what i, I what i've coined as stand envy stand envy is when you're in one deer stand wishing you were in another deer stand okay and um and so uh i am gonna create a listing of all my hunting spots with my own you know my own name so there you know i could like put it on the wall of my camp and nobody will know what i'm talking about like you know it's a three oaks spot or you know double trail or something you know what i mean like who knows where this is and i want to have them listed by appropriate wind direction and so when i get to the camp or, or i wake up and the wind shifted from the north to the southwest i can be like oh i'm gonna hunt you know the grapefruit tree i'm gonna hunt you know moose corner and i'm gonna hunt you know lactate cove or something i'm just making stuff up so i think that's a good game plan to have because there's a I don't know I don't know if many people listening are like this, but I have a really big problem of never going back somewhere ever again. Like I'm always moving forward, like new ground, new ground, new ground, new spot, new spot, new spot. And the reality is a place that I hunted three years ago still has deer on it. Why do I not go there anymore? It was great for an east wind. Why do you not go there when you have east wind? You know? Um, and so I'm, that's, that's going to be more of an organizing, like getting my strategy together goal, but it's still worth mentioning as a goal to actually get that together. So those are mine. Cool. cool. Well, Um, we'll be all be, uh, we will all be um, embarking on this, this, um, I guess from the time we're recording here, like five days, what, five, six days? Mm-hmm. So, yep. Um, it's coming up. Yeah, we, we've talked quite a bit this episode about um, different hunting opportunities and hunting out of state. I want to take a minute to remind you to check out 180 Outdoors and hunt180.com. Um, if you want to book an early season hunt next year, you're first of all, you're going to have to get in the Kansas lottery in April. But if you do, 
Um, that's one of the things that uh, that that 180 does, and they they have a lot of success in the early season. And when you when you deal with Matt and the guys at 180, they've got fully guided, semi guided, as well as private leases. And uh, Matt's also a Mossy Oak uh, Properties agent and can help you purchase a piece of land in Kansas as well. So anything you need um, in southeast Kansas and northern Oklahoma, um, any kind of uh, hunting activity that you're interested in, turkey, deer, and waterfowl, and uh, check them out at hunt180.com, and you can follow them on social media and kind of see what they've been what they've been doing and, and what kind of animals they're They've got on camera as well as uh, Harvest Report. So uh, check them out for your next Kansas adventure, hunt180.com. All right, guys. So a lot of stories being told already, and and we haven't even got to October the 1st. So I'm excited about what's to come. Um, You guys got anything else before we wrap up? Yeah, I got one more thing. Need to go on the website, check out some of our new merch this year. Um, and uh, check out our sponsors also. Uh, hit up Brian if you need some great refi or first-time home buyer, any sort of financial product like that for mortgages. Uh, really great guy to work with and great team, so I highly suggest. That's, that's all I wanted to say. Yeah, Brian, we appreciate you coming in um, or coming on to the podcast, stepping in for us and, and telling your story. I think it's great timing as well. Um, one of the active members of the community and you go out west on elk hunt and have an exciting story to tell. So we appreciate you taking the time. Yep. Thank you, guys. All right, guys. So um, if we got nothing else, we will talk to you guys again this week. We're actually going to drop two podcasts this week. So be looking for our normal end-of-the-week release um, and get ready for October the 1st. It's coming. We'll talk to you guys later. All right. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you have anybody you'd like to hear on the show, reach out to us at info at louisianabowhunter.com. And if you want to help support Louisiana Bowhunter, go by your local archery shop and pick up some merchandise. If you don't have any at your local shop, let us know and we'll reach out to them. Or pick up your gear at louisianabowhunter.com and we'll ship it out to you same day. See you next week.